they're doing everything you could ask. And I think they've found their formula because all of the times in these championship teams across any sport, it's about finding an identity. You know, what are you going to be? And I think the Ducks women's team, maybe even the men's too, struggled with that a little bit. They didn't know what they were going to be. They had injuries, but they found it now. You know, I think the offense runs through Sabali. They have an excellent pick and roll game with India Rogers and Sabali. And, you know, it's, it's playing off ball offense, get the ball to her down low, kick it out to the guards if you need. The shooting hasn't been fantastic, but it hasn't needed to. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Emerald Sports. Brennan Ferber here, joined always by my co-host, Carlos Pimentel. Carlos, how are we doing this morning? It's a beautiful day, and I'm so happy to be here with you. Uh, me too. This is like the highlight of the week, and what a week it was. Another week of Ducks basketball in the books, and it was very eventful. There were a total of four games between the men's and women's, all of which were home games at Matthew Knight Arena. So needless to say, we had a very busy week. Uh, the men's team took a, a very tough loss to Colorado with a final score of 82-78, to 78, but were able to rebound, defeating Oregon State in their second matchup of the season, 78-56. to 56. The women's team, which is who we'll start with today, stayed red hot, defeating Utah 70-66 to 66 in a shootout, and then USC 80-48 to 48 in dominating fashion, headlined by the one and only Niara Sabali. Carlos, how much should we read into this six-game win streak, and where do you think the success is coming from? I think we can read into it um, as much as we want to. The thing with the the women's team and as far as we came, like we said last week, you know, buy into the hype. If you're going to buy into a stock, I would buy into the Oregon Ducks, the women's team right now, both teams. And I think this is just coming from us getting healthy. I mean, earlier in the season, the women's team was battling injuries. Um, like you said, Sabali coming hot. Lately, she is on fire. That knee injury is no longer an issue, and she's ready to ball. None whatsoever. I mean, you could never guess that she missed any time at all with the way she's playing. The first thing I noticed was how well she was playing down low. I mean, she had clamps. There was nothing getting past her. They were doubling her in the second half even, and it just didn't matter. And it was once again her and Dia Rogers leading the offense with, you know, Tahina playing off ball a little bit. They were playing up on her a lot. But hey, she was she was playing classical point guard there, distributing the ball. She finished with 13 points up in there and like five assists once again. And then Endia and and Niara led the the team in scoring. One thing I noticed is that the Ducks, the women, the women's team is really big on defense. And having Niara as a big who can play on ball defensive guards, who can pick the ball, who can play down low in the post and who can stretch the full floor, man, what more can you ask for? And the Ducks are playing this full-course press. They're getting aggressive, active hands, and they're just getting out and they're running. They're playing the defense that they want to play. They're doing everything you could ask, and I think they've found their formula because all of the times in these championship teams across any sport, it's about finding an identity. You know, what are you going to be? And I think the Ducks women's team... Maybe even the men's too struggled with that a little bit. They didn't know what they were going to be. They had injuries, but they found it now. You know, I think the offense runs through Sabali. They have an excellent pick and roll game with India Rogers and Sabali. 
off-ball offense, get the ball to her down low, kick it out to the guards if you need. The shooting hasn't been fantastic, but it hasn't needed to be, you know, because we can find offense down low, and I haven't seen anyone that can stop it so far. Not in the Pac-12. And you're 100% right. This whole, the guard and post matchup with Rodgers and Sabali, teams are scared of this, and we saw it. Looking at Utah, they wanted to double Sabali every single time. Every single time she touched the ball in the post, any single time they went inside, any single time she set a pick to roll, they were crashing hard. They wanted her to work for her basket, and she did what she needed to do. She feeds off that, man. She's more than willing. But I definitely don't want to take anything away from Utah, you know? I mean, they're they're not the best team in the Pac-12 right now, but they didn't roll over. Definitely not. They were shooting lights out, especially at the end. Gianna Neepkins, who we highlighted last week, was impeccable. She played very well. All of their guards scored in double digits, including junior guard Brianna Maxwell, who came off the bench. It, you know, it was a close game, but the Ducks are 4-0 in games decided by five or fewer. They've been in these situations. And we like those numbers, and we'll take those numbers. And going forward, those are the things that you want to look for. That stat right there. If you're 4-0 in games decided by five or under, when it comes down to crunch time, we want the ball, and we want the ball in our hands. And I think that we hold the advantage when it comes down to crunch time. And speaking of Utah, they did go down with a couple injuries earlier in the early in the game too. So they were down their starting center at the beginning of the game, and that right there gave us an opportunity to get out early and start feeding inside and take advantage of their where they were down down low. They did, yeah. Peyton McFarland, sophomore forward, went out with an ankle injury. So I mean, we definitely caught a little bit of a break there. You know, playing inside out is something that I think the Ducks are going to stick to, and I don't think it matters who they're going up against. You know, most of the teams in the Pac-12 play the the opposite. I think the Ducks are kind of a unicorn in that, you know, at least in the Pac-12, maybe not in the entire NCAA. You know, it, it's not something that they have to live and die by because you have NDA Rogers. you know, you have Tahina Papa, who's still young, she's developing, and I think we need to remember that. I don't think overreacting to her numbers is going to get them anywhere. And I think as far as the team's morale goes, they're in as good a spot as you could hope for. And the great part about, you know, being in conference play right now is that, yeah, we want to kind of keep an eye on the higher seeds and the teams that are playing well across the country. But we have teams inside the Pac-12 that we need to focus on and teams that are in the top 10 that we still have to play. So being able to just focus on our conference and work on the things that we need to work on now is only showing improvement for the Ducks. I mean, look at the streak that we've put together lately. It's nuts. Yeah, it's six games. Uh, I think it's seven if you include the UCLA forfeit. It does count as a win in the Ducks column, but, um, you know, it wasn't wasn't playable, non-COVID-related forfeit. But hey, you know, we'll take it. We'll take it. Uh, Maddie Schur getting back into the recap was incredible again on the defensive side of the ball. Got to highlight her five steals. Her season average is 1.8. So this was a huge day for her. Getting a little nitpicky here. Staying out of foul trouble is something they could definitely improve on. But when you're playing inside out and you're playing down low, you're playing physical, which is their identity. That's going to happen. But if they do get in that trouble, you know, you'd like to see them a little better at the line. Their numbers were 68.4 from from the free throw line. So maybe brushing up there a little bit because this is a game of numbers. It's right, a game of inches. Right. And not to be 
Um, not to be like all the fans in Matt Knight that day, but you know, there were some questionable calls uh on both sides of the fo- floor. So not even on Oregon side, but against Utah as well. There were were some questionable calls. Um and the and the fans let them hear it. I do want to touch on the old school threads. Oh yeah. They were going retro. I loved it. You know, Oregon is known for the swag and the gear that they can show out when they come out to play. But the old school threads, I love it. They showed out. That was I know that was the first that was the first bullet point in your notes there, wasn't it? It was. It was the first one. As soon as I showed up, I was like, wow, look at the threads. I I love I love me a nice green and yellow that pops up. Yeah, I'm an oldie myself too. A few days after Utah, they played USC and that one, I don't even know how much depth we can go. It was just pure domination. Yeah, right off right off the back, I just want to say Niara Sabli just showed me that she could she can guard anybody on the floor. Again. Again, she got 23 points, seven boards, three steals. They had no answer, no answer whatsoever. And I, I recall at one point in the game, one of those steals, she came off, uh, she was defending a pick. She came off onto the guard. She picked the guard's pocket. She took it, she took it the full length of the floor and scored. Yeah, I mean, it's insane. Now think about this. She is 6'5", and she is Oregon's most dominant player down low. And when you have a big who can do that, how do you stop that? How do you how do you send a defense towards that? How do you send an offense towards that, knowing that you have a big who's gonna come off and who's gonna gonna try to take the ball from you? There's not much you can do. And you playing USC kind of showed that. I mean, you can't. Because if you crash down low on Sabali, you have India Rogers outside. She went seven for twelve from the floor, three for five from three and scored 17 points, you know, and Tahina Papau and Maddie Schur, who are kind of taking that three, four role, nine points, eight points. Tahina had a better night shooting, but I mean, she had two assists, four rebounds. The, the role players, right? We're starting to see India Rogers and Niara Sabali come out as the two, you know, one, two punch in the offense. We're seeing these role players take, take their shots. You know, they're not afraid to shoot. They are not afraid to shoot. And looking back on the Utah game and this USC game, that's what role players need to do is when you get the opportunity, when you're running your offense, your one, your your one doesn't go, your two doesn't go, your three and your four, you can't be afraid to just let it fly. And I'm excited to see those players, those role players be like, okay, you're going to let me shoot this. I'm going to shoot it. You're going to let me take it to the basket. I'm going to take it to the basket. And they're going to get their shots either way. That's it. I mean, it is the confidence. And I think they go as far as Sabali and Rogers take them. You know, if they do have off nights, you have players that are ready to step up. The only statistical category, I wanted to highlight this, that USC led in was free throw percentage. In all phases of the game, the Ducks were the better team. And you just, you know, sometimes you just, you don't make it at the line, but when it's a blowout like that, you know, let them have their free throws. And they were better. They were 72.7%. So, but USC, I mean, they were 14 from 16. So that is pretty good. But yeah, I mean, they had 17 turnovers compared to the Ducks seven. And the Ducks forced a lot of those 11 steals for the game. Yeah. And they didn't shy away from, um, they didn't shy away from passing. They didn't shy away from getting their blocks. You know, this is, we're starting to see it, you know, last week, I know I was really big on defense and talking about defense. I mean, here's another two games in the book that really showcase what what I was trying to hype on and what I was really serious about 
is that this women's team is serious about defense. They are aggressive. They are so aggressive. I saw them in the first quarter and the second quarter. They're picking people up half court. They're picking them up three quarters court, occasionally full court in the beginning of the game. So they want you to feel their pressure and they want you to know that they're going to get after you. And when you have somebody like Sabali down low who can play guard potentially one through five, that gives you the opportunity to run a full court and know that you have someone in the back that can move from baseline to baseline. It's that. I mean, it really is the perimeter defense. You know, USC, the majority of their points, 60% to be exact, ran through the front court. So, I mean, yeah, you have the guards. We were on a four-guard set. They're putting in work. I mean, they say four guards, but, I mean, it's you can run anything with these girls, especially Niara. You said she could play one through five. I think labeling her as a as a four or a five would be a mistake because she can she can even shoot if you leave her out there alone. She will shoot, but I think she's best when you leave her down low and she can go to work. And she she's six five. She plays like she's seven foot. Yeah, and one person I want to uh, one person I want to touch on is uh, Kylie Watson. You know, S- Sedona Prince has been um, has been shrugging a little bit. When she comes in, she's been picking up fouls a little more often, struggling to get her points. But Kylie Watson, she hasn't been super big on points. Um, she doesn't make a huge impact when you're looking at the stat sheet. But when she comes in, you know, she is that other big who can come in when uh, Niara is maybe in foul trouble or Sedona's in foul trouble. You have this other big who can come in and plug plug in and potentially do some of the similar things. You know, she works hard on defense. She's really willing to get in there and get some rebounds. So I just want to highlight her play the past couple of games that I've witnessed is that she's came in and she's taken advantage of the minutes that she's had and really worked hard. Absolutely. She deserves her shout outs. But I think you could say the same for Sedona. You know, yes, she's been in foul trouble, but she brings energy. She brings physicality. Not everyone on this team may score, but everybody has a role. Every player on this team has a role, and it's the reason we're having the success we are. You know, these these girls, they play for each other, and it's showing up. We're getting these results, and I just hope it continues, and I think it will. You look at championship teams uh, in collegiate and in pro, you know, they, they always talk about everybody buys in. You know, everybody buys in, everybody has a role, and everybody plays their does their job and plays their role. And I like how you said that because that's exactly what I'm seeing here. And I couldn't be more happy than what we're going to see going forward in the next coming weeks for the women's team. Not the be- not the biggest opponent. They are sitting at ninth in the Pac-12, but definitely not a team that the Ducks can overlook. Yeah, and like you said, they, they are coming off of, uh, you know, this is a rescheduled game. So um, Arizona State, like Washington State, is one of those teams in the Pac-12 who has battled uh, COVID protocols and have had to deal with rescheduling. I assume that that has been an impact on the way that they've played and the way that their season has gone. But coming off a, a loss to Stanford, I mean, that is that is tough. And then to go and play Oregon your next game, I, I really feel for them because this, this is going to be a rough couple couple games. It is, but the, I mean, the difficult thing to predict with this game is we don't really know what we're getting in the Sun Devils. They went 9-7 and seven in conference play, so that's some indication, but they also played teams like BYU, you know, teams like Creighton. Uh, in conference play, they did beat Colorado, who's 22nd in the poll. 
However, you know, they lost an ugly one to Stanford, although Stanford is number two in the country, and they did lose to Utah. We could see maybe a little bit of the motivation that the men's team had on the Colorado take place here. They have one player, senior guard, Jade Lovell, that can flat out ball. So he's averaging 16 points per game and shooting at almost a 50% clip. So look for Tahina Pow Pow to keep up her good work on defense. Yeah, and beating, you know, having, like I said in the beginning of the in the beginning of the show, having these high-ranked teams or teams in the top 25, you really get to see who can play against what level. I'm not sure how much I can say on this. ASU kind of been battling off and on with their with their play. I just think flat out we have the high, we have the better opportunity. Um, something that you you touched on here is they don't have a player over six four. I mean, that just screams screams feed it in the inside, and the way that the teams have been doubling Sabali lately, I don't I don't see her having a problem with it at all. I think that's what Kelly Graves is cooking up. I mean, no real post threat. She should absolutely go to work. You know, it's going to be interesting to see how Arizona State plays that. If maybe they try to throw two on her, I doubt it because it hasn't worked. That's what USC and Utah tried with to no avail. Maybe they try to let Sabali go off. I don't know, though, because you got India Rogers, you have Tina Pau Pau, we have players that can score. So, I mean, schematically, this is going to be very interesting to see. But it should be. I'm predicting a double-digit win. Knock on wood, knock on wood. And after ASU, we get to get into business. This game I am very, very excited for. The Arizona Wildcats, who are 5-3 and three in conference, tied for fourth right now, but don't let that fool you. They are an incredible, incredible team. Number eight in the country, as it stands right now. Just coming off a loss to Stanford. So they have a lot to prove in this. You know, they're still in they're still that team that wants to be the number one team in the Pac-12. They still want to be the number one team in the nation. They still want to play at a high level. They have beaten teams like number six, Louisville. They beat number 22, Colorado. They just lost a tough one to to Stanford. So they have so much to prove and fight for when it comes to this game. Be ready for a dogfight when it comes into this one. Yeah, and they're going to look at Oregon as an opportunity to do that, you know, to reinsert themselves in this conversation, even though I think that's probably the wrong way of saying it because they are in the conversation. It's funny because they kind of mirror what the Ducks have going. They have a big named Kate Reese who's averaging 15 points per game with 6.3 rebounds. So her and Sabli you'll see matched up. And then senior guard Shayna Pellington, who has been popping off 21 points per game over these past three games. You see that kind of that guard big combo starting to unfold on that team. And I, I like what you said about kind of mirroring the Ducks because we've seen teams, let me touch back to Utah, kind of run the same scheme that the Ducks had with the four kind of four guards, you know, a little bit smaller in the front court and the back court. And then you got the the one big who's playing, you know, a lot of the pick situations, playing down low a lot. So I'm excited to see how this works out for Arizona and kind of see how this matchup goes forward because seeing the teams who try to run the same thing against Oregon and try to throw the same thing at them, it hasn't worked out. And when they try to switch it up and run a zone or try to run something different, it hasn't worked out. We've just been really hot lately. So this is this game, if we can make it past Arizona, which we, I really hope we do, this game right here is going to be the true test of what the team has developed over the past 
you know, nine games, 10 games since we became healthy and started to develop this win. Absolutely. I think it'll speak volumes. And I think this is a great opportunity for Sedona and Kylie to have big nights because Arizona doesn't really have a ton of bench production and they play their starting five a lot. These past games have been any indication. This is probably going to be close. It's going to be a nail biter. You're probably not going to see a ton of bench minutes late in the game. You know, hitting, punching them in the mouth and getting that early is going to be huge. Which is important that the the women's team um, focuses on closing out. That was one thing. Uh, you know, we aren't, I'm not touching much on the USC game because there isn't much to touch about. We kind of dominated there. But looking back at the Utah game, the most recent game that had a close score, they, you know, there was a moment there at the end of the game where it was, you know, everyone was kind of like, you know, what what's going on here? So I think finishing at the end of the game is huge. It did happen, yeah. And they're playing on the road, so which is going to be even more of a challenge. In Arizona, which always, always is a challenge to win at Arizona. I mean, in Arizona, televised Pac-12 Network, which, I mean, this is this is a big night. It's the spotlight. And Duck fans, be sure to go show your support, maybe even if you're not going to Arizona, which I understand I'm not either. But tune into <laughs> Pac-12, watch it. Show our, our ladies some support. And now into our men's team. A very tough loss to Colorado to start it off. The Ducks had the lead in the first half, but poor shooting and a stellar performance from Jabari Walker helped Colorado come out on top. Let me just say that we touched on Jabari Walker before the game happened. We talked about he was the man who was going to give the Ducks the most problem, and he was somebody to look out to. I mean, you just said it. They just, they couldn't get buckets late in the game. You know, they started out excellent. They were shooting great. Will was Will, you know, had a 17-point game. It just, they, they, they just couldn't get their shots. They were trying too much to create their own shots. That's something we said to each other. I, I would like to see that change a little bit. I don't know if that's coaching, but swinging the ball, maybe trying to get a pick and roll going. I mean, take notes of the women's team. Look what they're doing. Maybe try to bring that to the men's, but yeah, they got turnovers. There were so many opportunities to put them away, and they just couldn't get it done. It was a very, very tough loss. Yeah, and and you mentioned that. I mean, 17 turnovers for Colorado, like basically giving, them, giving us an opportunity to win. And Quincy uh, Guerrier, he showed out. I mean, he was hitting big threes at the beginning of the game. He had his best night of the season, uh, 8 for 15, 22 points with 6 boards. He really showed out, and I was really impressed with him. He is my uh, MVP for that game. I second that, yeah. And, I mean, I got to give credit to Colorado because, I mean, yes, there's things the Ducks could have done better. They still scored 78, which is, I mean, this was an offensive shootout, but Jabari Walker is a dude. That guy, he had a double-double. They really didn't have an answer for him. I know Infale Dante did struggle a little bit, and... That was an issue. He had a few turnovers. It never felt like he got the upper hand. Kepnong really neither. And one thing that I want to touch on too is that uh, free throws. Man, I think we lost the game in free throws. We missed crucial free throws at the end of the game. We got opportunities to hit big shots at the end of the game. And we just couldn't capitalize. You know, they just... And all credit to all credit to Colorado, like you said, they worked hard. They were in a hole at the beginning of the half. They realized that there was 
some things that they needed to do. They needed to feed Jabari Walker more. And they really out-hustled the, the men's team in this game. That's what it was, and that's how they won. I mean, kind of a staple for this Ducks team that we've been talking about is team basketball being good in transition and playing excellent, excellent defense. And those are all th uh, things that Colorado was better at tonight. Other than, you know, statistically, you look at the Ducks and you're like, well, how did they win this game? You know, you said it, 17 turnovers. The Ducks had 10 steals to Colorado's eight. You know, it was more than that. It, there was a lot of fast break points for Colorado. It wasn't only Jabari Walker. Their guards played really well too, which is something I don't think I expected either because our guards have been playing so well, so well defensively. But, I mean, they did everything right other than being sloppy with the ball from time to time. Yeah, and even in the, even in the first half and early in the second half, the, the Ducks took advantage of those turnovers and were able to get points. But really, you know, touching back to the women's team and now to the men's team is that the late game situation is crucial. And that's where I've seen both teams kind of fall apart a little bit is the, the end game kind of bunkering down, making the right decision and hustling out and finishing out the game. Well, yeah, I mean, you saw it a few we uh, weeks ago against UCLA. They won the game, but it never should have gone to overtime. It was a sloppy, sloppy finish. Now, that's something you have to tighten up. You know, they, we had some players, Jacob Young and Devion Harmon, who were hustling all night defensively. They had eight combined steals. But Jacob Young, in particular, really couldn't get his shots up. I would just like to see more confidence in the players that haven't been shooting. People like Devion Harmon, you know, because... There, there were open shots. I said it a lot. And they kept trying to work it inside to Dante or Kepnong or kick it out to Richardson, who was pretty much, they were following him all night. You know, they knew what he could do. I mean, I think that's what lost it for him. I think what's the, what this Ducks team is missing is really just another big. You play these teams like Colorado who run three up front. They're taller. And when their guards can score with your guards, that's just a clear mismatch. And then there's not a lot you can do, you know, because you're literally mismatched like on a height basis, on a strength basis, defensively scoring in the play playing inside out. You really don't have leverage there. Yeah. And I'm glad that you brought up the, the, the set of Colorado because they, they are long. They are long and they're quick. What I notice is that they had, you know, their their three forwards, not really a traditional center. They had their two guards. They kind of were able to spread out the floor more and move from sideline to sideline quicker than than what we saw the Ducks. And towards the end of the game is that we saw uh, Eric Williams come in and, you know, the Ducks were in a, starting to look like they were going to go in a hole and they went kind of smaller to match the energy of Colorado. And that's when we started to, Pick, pick it up a little bit. And that's when we started to get back into the game. So maybe something situational down the end of the road. You see a scheme or a team that's beating you up a little bit. They're a little faster. They're able to get, get to places a little quicker. You know, maybe it is a good idea to switch Dante out and, you know, maybe hold off on Kepnog and bring in somebody like Eric Williams who can kind of spread the floor a little bit more and be a little bit more quicker. Definitely. They do need to be able to adjust because we saw them fade a little bit in the UW game, which, I mean, it was a dominant, you know, we can forgive that a little bit because it, the, the margin was so huge. 
But in a game like this, you can't start out slow in the second half. And I think that's when they got in the hole. They were doing very different things, Colorado and the Ducks. Colorado was playing how I would want to play, which is, you know, create shots through ball movement, setting screens, working the ball inside. And the Ducks were playing a lot of ISO, you know, just trying to maybe get Will Richardson or Jacob Young in the mid-range, which is where they've been playing so well. But when you have three bigs and Jabari Walker, who had an incredible game, that's just not going to work. So they did adjust and went to Eric Williams, which worked. I just wish they would have done that a little sooner. I'm right there with you. But that wasn't the only game that we saw this past Thankfully. week from the Ducks. We saw them take on the in-state rival Beavers, Oregon State. That was a much-needed win and a confidence booster for sure. I didn't see any chance the Ducks lose this game. Not coming off, off the loss to Colorado. You know, second game, first one at home this season against the Beavs. The energy in Matthew Knight Arena was high, and the Ducks got a much-needed win in dominating fashion. You had guys like Jacob Young, who bounced back, 17 points, four boards, four assists. Eric Williams, 14 points. The guy only missed one shot and hit the one of the craziest buzzer beaters I've ever seen. It was He just heaved it up, and it banked it in. It was awesome. Yeah, three-quarter heave at the half. I mean, that just kind of right there sums up what the energy was like and what the Ducks came to play. They were ready to ball. You know, let me just touch on one thing before we get too deep into it. Uh, you know, we didn't shoot that well. Again, the free throw, you know, you, we got to shoot a little better at our free throw line and a little better from the three. But let's get into the good stuff and what that game meant. I mean, Nafali Dante... Man, was he huge. I got to give it to Nafali Dante. He was, I think he also struggled a little bit in the last game. And it's, you can tell who was chewed out, I think, because all of them came to play. He set the tone immediately. Nine points, 10 rebounds, four blocks. And he was matched up against a seven foot one senior in Roman Silva for Oregon State. Yeah. And the, the Beavers, you know, that's, that's their guy. That's their guy. That's who they want to get going. You have a 7-1 guy, and if, he can, and if he can ball, of course, that's who you want to get going. Yeah, and fortunately, their guards couldn't. So literally, that, I mean, that's all OSC was really doing, was trying to work it into Silva. And he, did, he had 17 points for the amount of looks he got. That really isn't much. And the Ducks, they did start out a little sloppy shooting. You saw some of those struggles carry over. That went away very quickly. I mean, they had an amazing game. Not only was it the Ducks playing well, I mean, they, they didn't shoot the best, um, from the, like I said, from the three or the free throw, um, but that didn't matter. And what this means to me is that, you know, even on a poor shooting night, we can still pull it out. We can still come out on top. And against the in-state rivalry, against the Beavers, you got we got to win those. I, I got, on a side note, I got people and friends that go to Oregon State and they just love to just talk the talk and talk about how the ducks this duck that Phil Knight money this and that and I just love seeing that scoreboard and I love living rent free in their head it is the best and they had a lot to talk about because the last time we played it was like 78 76 I want to say it was close and coming off the loss to Colorado I think they were smelling blood in the water so this is a game the ducks had to win because I mean, I hate the Beavs too. Yeah. So, I mean, they, this this felt really good. They they definitely had an opportunity there. They they had an opportunity to catch the Ducks off guard, but no, 
it, it wasn't happening. We were not going to lose to the Beavers. We, were, we weren't going to drop two in a row. And that makes me more excited that they came fired up. They came ready to go. And looking forward to our next couple of games, this is the energy that we need to keep. Most definitely. And before we go into those next couple of games, I got to give props to Will Richardson, who another milestone for the guy, 10th all-time in steals and is the seventh Duck player to notch 1,000 points and 125 steals. Carlos, you want to hit that clapping track? There it is. Props to Will. And another uh, touch on Will Richardson is that he has been announced as a Bob Cousy Award watch list. So shout out to Will Richardson and all that he's been bringing to He deserves it. If we said it once, we've said it a thousand times. This guy can ball. This game is the archetype I feel like they need to follow throughout the season because it worked. It was Oregon State. You know, I mean, this this isn't the team that I think everybody expected, but it's the team we have. I think they're they're close. We said the women's team found their identity and the Ducks will. I don't think the season is over. We it's still have, we, we have plenty of games yeah. left to go. We get an opportunity to play Colorado next revenge game. And this is an opportunity to work on the things that we struggled on before closing out the game, staying consistent from the free throws. This is an, a huge opportunity. I love seeing games that we get to play a team again because unlike football, when you lose and that's that and you don't see him again, basketball, we get to see you again and we get to come back better. And they get it so quickly. Only like a week's turnaround, right? So it's not like they forgot. At least I hope not. They definitely need to have an answer for Walker. So I'm looking for Dante to emulate what he did against Oregon State and come back because, I mean, the Ducks did lose it in the paint, let's be honest. And they won it in the paint against Oregon State. So that's something they have to keep going. And I'd love, love to see them swing the ball and get the pick and roll going. Have more of an organized offense. Right, right. And like you said, in the paint, feeding it in the paint, and also on the road, this one's going to be in Colorado. We have a chance to go in there and upset them, just like they want on our home court. You're, you're exactly right. And not only do we have Colorado, but we also have a chance to play the worst team in the Pac-12 right now, Utah. This should be, this should be a win. Um, I hope so, yeah. And here we are saying should be. We're only saying should be because we are in the driver's seat of our own destiny right now. We lost to Colorado. We have an opportunity to bounce back from them and gain momentum going forward. Utah, another chance to kind of touch on the things that we just talked about. Foul trouble, free throws, swinging the ball, getting the ball inside as well. This is a chance to really do that when you have a team who isn't doing as well this year. They do control their destiny. And I want to touch on kind of the standings a little bit because they are not in the driver's seat at the moment. That loss to Colorado did hurt. You have UCLA, who's 8-1 and one in conference. They haven't lost since Oregon. They're on a big tear. Arizona is at 7-1. and one. USC at third uh, with 8-3. and three. Then you have the Ducks, who are at 6-3. and three, Tied with Washington, but we beat them, so we have the tiebreaker. You have Wazoo at 6 with 5-3. and three. Stanford five and four, Colorado is five and six, ASU two and six, Cal is two and eight, the Beavers are one and seven, and then you have Utah who's one and eleven and are on a ten game slide. So they're they are hurting for a win right now. And like the previous teams, Oregon State had a chance to prove something. Colorado had a chance to prove something and took advantage of it. Utah 
you know, this is their chance to really prove something. But we just can't let that happen. We cannot let that happen. If we potentially lose this game to Utah, it could set us back further in the Pac-12 standings than we would like. Yeah, and you can't have that. I mean, the Utes do have a seven-foot junior center named Brandon Carlson who's having a good season. He's averaging 13.4 points per game, six rebounds. So another opportunity for Kepnong and Dante to keep working inside and prove themselves, show that we can play in the paint. Uh, But he's their only player scoring in double digits, so I'm expecting Will Richardson, Devion Harmon, Jacob Young, Eric Williams, who's been playing outside a lot. I know he's listed as a forward, but he's really more of a 2-3 combo kind of. Uh, they're going to have big games outside, we hope. You know, I said touching on the free throws, staying consistent from the free throw, but also staying out of foul trouble. You know, we've seen lately they have been tagged with a lot of fouls, and I think staying disciplined while you're trying to get your inside game working is more important than actually getting the ball inside because that's where a lot of fouls come from. And staying out of foul trouble will help us defeat Colorado this time. Especially when you have a veteran team. You know, we have a bunch of upperclassmen. You got guys like Will Richardson and Jacob Young who probably are not going to be here next year, including Kepnon. Right. So, and Colorado's a veteran team too. They were in the tournament last year. You know, Jabari Walker, I think, is a a little younger being a sophomore. Products. This isn't Oregon State. This is a seasoned team who's been here. And we saw that. They just beat us. So we know what to expect this time. We know there's no room for error. We have two products this week, both NFC champs who have the opportunity to be world champs. It's Justin Hollins, outside linebacker for the Rams, and Johnny Munt, tight end for the Rams. Yeah, both uh, Justin Hollins has had a little bit more of playing times and a little little more impact in the NFL than Johnny. But, you know, we can see products out there with rings, and that's what we're hoping for. That's what we want. I mean, both of them, neither one is a starter per se, but, you know, they're part of that 53-man roster, and they get a ring just as much as the other ones. Justin Hollins actually used to play for my Broncos. Win-win for me. I have double incentive. I want to see this guy get his ring. Yeah, we want to see any alumni uh, walk away with the ring. Thank you for joining us on another episode uh, this week on Emerald Sports. My name is Carlos with my co-host Brennan here, and we cannot wait to talk more ducks with you next week.